The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this special edition of Bench with Bubba, let me talk to you about a couple things. One being the Quantedge.com. They're a good partner with us. They do a lot of fun work over there in the DFS world. They have football, MMA, basketball. They got a betting tool, all kinds of cool stuff. But right now, they've lowered the rest of the NFL season to $59.99. And when you use promo code BENCHED, you get it for $49.99. So go to the Quantedge.com. You get their, their lineup optimizer. Their head-to-head matchup tool, all kinds of awesome stuff they have over there. They're five, six, seven, so many tools they keep coming out with. Use promo code Bench and you get the rest of the NFL season for only forty nine ninety nine. If you don't want the rest of the NFL season, you can get month packages for fifteen percent off. With promo code Bench, they'll get you NBA and NFL for a month. It gets you both sports. So go check it out. TheQuantEdge.com promo code Benched. Also go to Draft Draft.com. Drafts in your app store is a phenomenal way to play fantasy sports. Tons and tons of fun. They got NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, PGA. Uh, the the best balls for the NFL. They're, the playoffs are starting. They're supposed to do actual postseason best balls with real NFL playoff. Hopefully, they bring back MLB best balls. It is a phenomenal thing. A great app. And when you use promo code SD Sports at checkout, you get entry into a free three dollar tournament of your choice. So go to Draft.com. Draft in your app store. Promo code SD Sports. On uh, tonight's episode, episode 132, we're going to talk some fantasy baseball with, with um, Alex Chamberlain of Rotograss, one of the smartest guys I've had the pleasure of talking to and interacting with on Twitter. And he really digs into the ex- advanced stats, X stats of baseball. Uh, we didn't really get into the definitions. Um, he did talk about how Fancrafts and Baseball Savant have glossaries you can check out. Just real quick, we talk a lot about WOBA and XWOBA. WOBA is a rate statistic which attempts to credit a hitter for the value of each outcome, single, double, etc., rather than treating all hits or times on base equally. WOBA is on the same scale as on base percentage and is a better representation of offensive value than batting average, RBI, or OPS. The weights change slightly with the run environment, but the general formula is so on and so forth. And it goes on and gives you the information there on fan graphs. When you go to Baseball Savant, who is in charge of the ex-WOBA stat, it's an expected weight on base average is formulated using exit velocity and launch angle, two metrics measured by StatCast. That's why it's on Baseball Savant. In the same way that each batted ball is assigned a hit probability, every batted ball has been given a single, double, triple, and home run probability based on the results of comparable batted balls in terms of exit velocity and launch angle since StatCast was implemented in, in 2015. So on and so forth that goes into more detail on that. And go read up on them, learn them as we talk about on the podcast. But enough of me blabbering on. Welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 232 with Alex Chamberlain of Rotograss. Hope you all enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 132. Going to talk some fantasy baseball today, some advanced stats, uh, get some NFBC early ADP discussion. In order to do so, I have a guest from rotographs.com. Find on Twitter at Dolph 
Hall Hagen. I probably butchered the hell out of that. No, like you got it. Out. I got yeah, it. God yeah. damn, that's good. Um, yeah, you're I, like one of the only people to get it, actually. So kudos. Well, it's, phonet- it's phonetically there, so I just kind of rolled with it. But uh, <laughs> the voice you are hearing is Alex Chamberlain. Alex, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I was. Uh, I've been wanting to have you on for a long time, and I just I got busy with things and I forgot. And then uh, I was I was bummed I missed out on Arizona uh, first pitch Arizona this year. And I saw you were all over the place on all your talks. I'm like, okay, he's out there doing powerpoints and stuff, and I'm not there. So we're going to talk about it on my show for at least like 45 minutes or so. Sure, sure, sounds good. Um, we, when we talk advanced stats, we've talked about it on the show before. Um, you know, they've been going strong with baseball savants and all kinds of other, you know, fan graphs embraces it, baseball perspective, so on and so forth for the better part of, you know, four or five years or whatever. Um, and you really roll with it in like you, you look at the Wobas, the X Wobas, and you, your recent thing on uh, speed and all that is really, really interesting. Let's just start really basics here. When you're looking at advanced stats, what are you looking at? What's your kind of idea when you're looking at that in relation to your fantasy baseball teams? Um, that is, has a simple answer and a hard answer. Um, the simple answer is um, there are a few metrics that I look at for hitters, for pitchers. Um, so for pitchers, I will look at um, Sierra, S-I-E-R-A, and that's on fan graphs. Um, I look at XFIP, which is a pretty popular one, expected fielding independent pitching. Um, for hitters, I you know I look at the, the usual stuff. I look at BABIP. I look at home runs per fly ball. Um, I've been more inclined to use XWOBA. I actually don't use it that much, despite writing a lot about it. I just feel like it's it's kind of a service that someone needs to do to kind of uh, to contextualize everything, because I think we are in a time where we're developing metrics so quickly, and especially with MLB producing them, um, and there's not a lot of like quality control happening, and we don't totally know how to interpret them at least properly um so i just that's i guess that's like its own thread its own train of thought there but i um you know i i use a variety of statistics i try to take kind of a holistic approach so i don't ever rely on one metric in particular i think that's kind of a foolhardy thing to assume one is better than the other i think they all provide some value they just provide value in different ways and using them kind of you know synthesizing them using xfip and sierra or using you know babip home runs to fly balls you know xwoba whatever kind of understanding where they're all seeing value and lack thereof is is important so i i try to use a little bit of everything which is like the boring answer but you know it makes sense and in a, in a sport like baseball where there are so many variables in play you can't just kind of pick and choose where you want to go for the most part you can if you want to fine-tune like you say when you're writing your articles or this that and the other but if you want the, the whole picture yeah you got to go a little bit of everything and you know i understand that the bad lips the sierras the x-pips of the world and i'm learning the wobas and the x-wobas and the x-stats is really something that's taken over more of an impact it seems in the last you know year or so when you're looking at your WOBA versus your ex-WOBA or just anything versus its ex-STAT, what are you trying to, I'd say, gain in that interpretation that'll give you an edge? So, um, so like ex-WOBA, which is really not any different from something you may have seen before, like ex-BABIP was a popular uh, expected metric for the past few years, and people still use it. Mike Podhorzer at Fangraphs is kind of the one who... I don't know if he pioneered it, but he's he's the one who's always still writing about it. Um, the idea is that this this expected metric um, is kind of describing uh, the production that a player should have had based on everything that's happened so far. So the idea presumably would be a player who has a really big difference in their, for example, their WOBA, so their actual results versus their ex-WOBA, which is what should have happened that difference should hopefully tell us that, well, you know, he's either been really lucky or really unlucky based on how well or how poorly he's been hitting the ball so far. So leveraging that information, um, you should be able to hopefully find buy low or sell high batters and pitchers. I think for pitchers, it's a little more dubious, but definitely for hitters. Um, I spoke about this at first pitch Arizona. I, I think I, I pulled the list on June 1st. And I looked at all of the the biggest 
underperformers based on Woba versus X Woba. They were um, they were like Jason Kipnis, Cole Calhoun, uh, Stephen Piscotti, Matt Carpenter, guys who like basically for the last four months of the year just went totally oh, bananas. Yeah, yeah, they went off, and it was like, and I didn't, you know, and at the time I picked it like it it seemed intuitive to me, but I didn't know if it was going to work out, but like it it, it absolutely did. Um, there's just kind of like an inherent intuition in looking at the biggest outliers with these, these, I'm going to refer to it as the differential, the difference between WOBA and X WOBA, the biggest outliers on this spectrum are going to be the guys who probably have the most movement for the rest of the year. So those those are good guys to look at, you know, I don't know if one month is too early, but you know, two, you know, six weeks, eight weeks into the year, looking at guys that you want to buy low on. Okay. So that's, that's what I was going to ask you is when do you think it's a good time? And I guess, you know, two months makes sense. Get you a, a decent sample because as you know, one of the biggest debates in fantasy baseball is what sample size matters and what size like is proper and so on and so right. forth. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, like you said, if you're, if you're trying to make a decision, you can't wait four months because by then you might've already lost two months, value changes, you're out of the, you're out of your race, so on and so forth. Um, you, you have to pick a point. So I guess two months is, is a very good you know, kind of idea of where things are going to go. Because coming into a season, you pretty much have an idea of what players, you know, you, you use the old theory some guys do, and maybe it's not super stat-based, but guys are the back of their baseball cards for the most part, like a handful of them. Like they're going to be that guy. And when they're not performing to a certain number, is that kind of where you can use this stat to be like, okay, we know what this guy usually does. This is what he's supposed to be doing. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, to an extent. So I would say um... – yeah, there, there's it's kind of a two pronged thing there because I think, I think one guy who actually um, who who performed like well below his usual production through the first two months was Paul Goldschmidt, and actually um, X Woba said that it was legit. Like basically, he had actually just been bad for the first two months. X Woba said it should have been just about where his actual Woba was. So you're kind of in a position where like, do you trust X Woba, which is telling us that he performed poorly, or do you trust five years of historical data on Paul Goldschmidt, which says he's an elite hitter. And for anyone who just kind of trusted that this was a slump, because you can have a slump that's not, you know, you can, you can slump without hitting well you can just naturally slump you can hit poorly that's a thing that happens to all hitters you don't have to have a difference in in x woba and woba to know that um if you trusted his you know previous five years of excellence and you you bought low on him or you wrote it out you know he also went bananas the next four months and he ended the 2018 season right where he normally does with like a, a woba of 395 400 um so it, it can go both ways i think you know, sometimes you have to just use your best judgment and know what you know about these players to to make the best decision and not rely blindly on the expected metrics. And that's also kind of my thing is like I think sometimes we we may rely on these metrics. We may trust them too much without like really uh, critically questioning what they're trying to tell us. So I'm glad you said that because that's kind of what I, I was wondering because. I, 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 like I said, I've been trying to embrace the stats. I, I like the stats. I've been a guy that's I, – I see what I see. I've, I've played the game not like to the level these guys are, obviously. But I, I have a feel for baseball. Like I, like I watch like the Goldschmidt thing. I understood a lot more. Where when I'm looking at stats, I understand them now. But two years ago, I had no clue. So I think right. there's that fine line like you're saying. Um, how many years have you been doing this kind of expo book? Because I, I know this year I saw your deal – is this your first year really getting that success rate or have you been doing this year in and year out? So I, um, so I was actually like pretty late on the ex Woba train because I was, I was, um, I was kind of like stubborn about it. I was like, uh, I don't really, I don't really care. I don't want to learn. Um, I don't think it's a big deal. And obviously that wasn't true. Everyone was super <laughs> into it. So this year I just, um, I just decided to to kind of confront it and dig into it. And when I started digging into it, I realized, you know, there's so much more to learn beyond just taking it at face value. And I'm, I'm glad I did. I, like I said, I really don't use it very much, but I think 
ha- you know, contextualizing it for everyone, really digging into understanding it and being able to relay that information to other people so they can use it if they want to is really important. Um, because, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's the quote unquote forefront, but no, I haven't, I haven't really been doing much with it at all before 2018. Uh, it was super successful last year. Like we've talked about, um, now that we're in the off season, I know you're doing your ADP projections and you've been pretty, pretty spot on with those for the most part. Um, do, can you use any form of the Woba, Xwoba, these advanced stats to kind of give you an edge looking into the drafts next season of like, say players, now, the way they finished last year wasn't really how they finished, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think the irony here is that projection systems that exist do a, a pretty good job of taking into account players who um, may have underperformed or overperformed. And we we have our biases that make us disregard those projections. So like a guy who underperformed or overperformed is probably being value differently in the draft even though his projection is probably pretty close to what he's going to deliver to us so i think um i think mostly you would use uh like the biggest differentials again the the biggest differences in woba minus x woba to identify guys who people are down on when maybe they shouldn't be um i haven't looked but like off the top of my head like i'm still thinking like cole calhoun even though he went on a complete tear last year was still at the very bottom of the leaderboard last year. So like there's there, you know, there's probably room for growth even in 2019. Um, so um, just guys like that, there's not going to be a ton of them, but like, you know, I'm thinking George Springer after having a career year in 2017 was kind of down in 2018. Again, I haven't looked into that, but like he's in the low fifties right now on NFBC, whereas he was like, an early second rounder um, in 20 uh, in 2018. So uh, those are the kind of guys that I'll probably end up looking at most uh, this year. Just the guys who have been, you know, year in and year out, solid producers who for whatever reason um, may have had a, a down year in 2018 and are being potentially undervalued. In, in listening to this, I, I have an idea and you can tell me if I can, I'm a complete idiot. I don't care. You can tell me I'm a fool. <laughs> But in, in kind of looking at this, you know, you're looking at the Cole Calhouns and these other guys at the bottom and maybe some guys overachieved and they're at the top. Could you look at like career Woba minus last year's Woba or something and try to get a correlation there? Or is that just worth not worth it? Um, I haven't looked at um, career Woba versus minus X or, you know, I'm sorry, career Woba versus just one year of X Woba. But um, but this actually this relates to the the next topic you kind of have here about sprint speed. I um I I did look at like uh, each player's year in and year out uh, woba minus x woba differential. So I just wanted to see like if certain players, um, you know, consistently outperformed or underperformed their woba. Because if they do, or I'm sorry, their x woba. If they outperform their x woba, um, because if they do, then you know perhaps there's some inefficiency there where it's not. Um, it's not measuring things correctly. And I, you know, at looking at this, it became very obvious to me, uh, you know, pretty quickly that the guys who routinely overperform Xwoba are fast guys. It was like Malik Smith, it's Billy Hamilton, it's Trey Turner, uh, it's Byron Buxton, um, Delino DeShields, and the guys at the bottom are like Albert Pujols, Kendrys Morales, um, etc. So, um, you can you can tell. I mean, the, that's where the sprint speed comes in. X Woba doesn't account for that, so the guys who are a, better able to leg out singles are going to have naturally uh, better Wobas than their X Woba suggests because X Woba doesn't realize they're fast. Uh, the flip side is the same for you know lumbering first base types uh, and and guys of that nature. Um, so I, there is some. There definitely is a trend with differential specifically from year to year, um, but I just I can't attest specifically to like a player's career. What like for for for, uh, for Paul Goldschmidt would be the perfect example, right? Because his career woba was what three ninety or whatever, and he had a really low x woba um, in twenty eighteen. So actually, that's you know that's a pretty good impetus for for more research. I think there there's some merit to that because. Go- 
Goldschmidt, based on his career woba, would have been the perfect uh, bounce back candidate for that. So when you're looking like career woba versus other wobas, you looked into career sprint speeds as you compared sprint speeds to wobas and next wobas. What did you kind of find out there? Yeah, yeah. So I um, right. So I haven't looked. Or I haven't looked specifically at career woba versus a single year of ex woba. And I think what I was um, saying was that like for Paul Goldschmidt, that would have been really interesting because his career woba versus his 2018 ex woba were pretty dramatically different even though he was in a slump and i think that could have been an impetus for um really exploring um if the differential between a single year or even just a couple of months of exoba versus woba provides some value instead of just looking at within the year like 2018 woba versus exoba um what i have looked at before is looking at the differential each year and this is where sprint speed comes in into play um there are certain players who every single year will outperform their ex-WOBA or underperform their ex-WOBA, um, and it relates entirely to sprint speed, which is just foot speed. Um, there are the guys at the very top of the leaderboard. It's always Malik Smith, Delano DeShields, Byron Buxton, Billy Hamilton, Trey Turner, always these fast guys. And at the very bottom, the guys who are constantly underperforming ex-WOBA are Albert Pujols, Kenrys Morales, Victor Martinez, the slow, lumbering first base types. Um, so uh, this is all happening because Exwoba explicitly does not account for foot speed. So um, the guys who are able to leg out infield singles are the guys who are going to perpetually overperform what Exwoba thinks of them because it has no idea how fast they are, and vice versa for the guys who are slow. So on a year-to-year basis... There's actually some value value to be gleaned simply on the basis of not everyone should have a WOBA that equals ex-WOBA. And I think that's the part that's really problematic is that not everyone should regress towards zero. We're not finding everyone perfectly at zero. There's guys who are going to con- or consistently be on the fringes of that, and they might be falsely interpreted as playing over their heads or you know, waiting for a breakout. Albert Pujols being 60 points under his ex-WOBA doesn't mean he's going to break out in the second half of the year. It just means he's slow now. So these are this is the kind of like context that I've been digging into in 2018 um, to disseminate. So, to, you know, just to, to get people to hopefully be interpreting this stuff correctly because this isn't anything that MLB has like really discussed publicly, at least to my knowledge. So... Well, that, that's what I like about this is it's really not, like you said, knowledge we talked about. I'm curious with this whole MGM Grand Partnership deal, and they said they're going to give them all these advanced stats and all this. I'm curious where that's going to go. But when you're looking at these sprint speeds, you basically nailed it like, okay, if you're fast, you're probably going to lay out some singles. If you're not, you're not, and that's going to adjust things. Now, when you're looking at sprint speeds compared to stolen bases, this could be something that as it develops, like I know the end of your write-up said, well, we could figure this equals this equals this. Yeah, you can you can see that, but there might be a way to keep looking at this and, uh, you know, maybe late round stolen base guys or something along those lines. What did you find out by looking at sprint speeds in comparison, like stolen bases? Yeah, I wish I had like thought more critically about what the implications of that could be. I think I was a little, my brain was a little fried by the time I reached the end of that. But with sprint speed, um, it mostly just confirmed the really intuitive things like the guys who are fast run more often. (laughs) The guys who are fast succeed in stealing more often. Although the relationship isn't very strong and, um, and the teams or, and guys who run more often um, typically do so also because their teams run more often. So it's kind of like because of an ability that they have inherently, and also because the team's philosophy enables them to run more often. So these are all things that like we've kind of known. The one thing that was not shocking to me, but might have been you know surprising to other people, is that there's just not a lot of explanatory power to success rate. So specifically, like in the number of attempts that a fast guy might take in a year, it's hard to tell whether he'll succeed 75% of the time or 90% of the time. Um, and that's, and I think that's just because it's such a small sample. Um, you know, to us, we think like it's been an entire season. 
you know, Trey Turner attempted 50 steals or whatever in 2018. That feels like a big number. It happened over the course of 700 plate appearances, but really a sample size of 50 or for someone less than that, for like a Paul Goldschmidt type who's maybe attempted like 13 steals. Just because it happened over the course of six months doesn't make it a big sample. It's still only 13 attempts. So you take one success or even two successes in either direction and it dramatically changes the percentage. So it's just really hard to try to predict stolen base success rate within a single year, I think. I, I, I wouldn't know the proper way to do it, but I would I would conjecture that looking at like a three-year success rate might be the best approach because it just expands that sample size. It kind of like evens out the ups and downs across multiple years. Um, so I, I wouldn't read too closely into like so-and-so only had a 60% success rate this year, but he had 80% last year. Like realistically, he's probably somewhere in the middle just because it's too noisy to tell. I'd say a base stealer in theory. Would you rather look at the the team that steals a lot, or would you rather look at the guy with the numbers that correlate with like the sprint speeds that you're looking at? Um, if you had to pick like one side or the other, because like you said, some sample sizes aren't big enough. You know, a team sample size might be big enough. Yeah, yeah, I would probably look first at just um, just the the player first, and specifically the number of attempts. Like I, you know. I if a guy who normally has gone, I think Lindor is um, a good example off the top of my head. If I'm remembering this correctly, I think he had a good success rate in the the few years prior to 2018, and then in 2018 he ran a lot um, and didn't have a great success rate. But I, you know, either, that could be a product of maybe not choosing his spots as wisely as he used to. Maybe he's running more often just to run and he's not, you know, he's not being as cautious, but you know, I'm going to, I would be willing to gamble that if he continues to attempt 38 steals or whatever, that the 25 successes will increase to 30 or something just based on sheer naturally occurring variance, um, just because of the noisiness of that stat. Um, I would probably look at that before, team context just because i don't know enough about specific managers or third base coaches to begin to guess who might be considering stealing more or less than in previous years and and some years you know some teams where the the managing staff stays the same that might be a worthwhile endeavor but otherwise i'm not I'm not going to read too heavily, excuse me, too heavily into it um, unless they're teams at the extremes like Baltimore, who never steals and Milwaukee, who, you know, is perpetually leading the league or, you know, at the top of the leaderboard in in stolen base attempts. So otherwise, I I probably wouldn't read too much into it, at least on a a per player basis. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, if we're talking about beginners in the idea of looking at the advanced stats, the X stats, all that kind of stuff, when it comes to just say stuff, literature or um, other stuff like that, where would you direct someone to kind of learn things and kind of engulf it to become somewhat on the direction where you are now? <laughs> um, yeah, you just kind of have to explore. Um, I mean, the, the, for me, my, a lot of my exploring is done just, by doing like I'm a learning by doing person rather than like a learning by reading. And when I, when I learn something by reading, I end up doing it to verify that what I've read is correct. So I'm just like that kind of person. Like I'm just inherently really skeptical, but I can confirm that a lot of the stuff that you read is like true. Um, I'm just, <laughs> you know, whatever, but, um, but fan graphs is a glossary. I, I'll, I use this all the time. Um, fan graphs is a glossary that lays out, not only the traditional stats, so it'll talk about like the simple things that we all know about ERA, WHIP, you know, whatever, and then it'll go into like for offense, for pitching. It has all of the, and I don't want to say all, but you know, most of the the advanced metrics. So we're talking about like WOBA, uh, weighted runs created, FIP, xFIP, Sierra, um, uh, RA nine for pitchers, which is like runs allowed per nine compared to um you know other other 
metrics that we commonly use. Um, they have all of the they have discussion about interpretation. They have cal- or not calculations, but they have uh, algorithms. So like the the the, the formulas, um, and then they have commonly have links that will re- or show you where the the metric was first developed. People talking about it. So that's a good way to kind of like if you just want to go down a, a rabbit's hole one day, you just go into the glossary and read about them. Um, a good way to do it is by googling because people will um, be using these stats you know, they'll be applying uh, these metrics. So you can first learn about how it's uh, created and kind of what it means. And then you can see how people are using it and leveraging it for success. So like for XFIP, you know, you compare it to ERA to see who's underperforming or under or overperforming. Same with XWOBA, um, which to be clear is not in the Fangraphs glossary, but that's that's on, on StatCast and Baseball Savant and they have their own glossary that explains everything. So um, it's just, you know, it's a matter of just sitting down and and really digging through it and reading it. And maybe you don't understand the calculations and you don't really need to, but just kind of doing your best to to um, like critically analyze how people are are using these metrics and and the kind of the rationale behind why they were made in the first place and why people are using them is is really helpful and that's that's something that I had to learn. It took me a couple of years when I first started writing to realize that I'm actually not any good at this, and then to like make myself better and that you know that takes a lot of. Yeah, it takes a lot of learning and reading and and doing and just kind of trial by error. But you know, eventually you get there. You get there. Um, how are we going to convince? Or uh, I'll send him a message. I know you talked to him also to put XWOBA on Fangraphs, or is it just is, is MLB have the only ownership of it? I would guess that uh, that MLB is keeping that close yeah. to the vest. Yeah, I, it's I, probably I love, like I love going on the player page and you have the FIP X FIP right next to it. You're just like, okay, this makes sense. I can look at it right here. It's a thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so yeah. I think XWOBA is going to stay over there, but we do have, and you know, maybe there's an opportunity for. Um, so Andrew Perpetua um, creates created xstats.org. You might be familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote at Fangraphs for a while. I'm not sure if he's doing that anymore, but he he keeps xstats.org up to date. Up to date. I'm sorry. Um, and he uses all the same data that MLB does and Statcast does, but he just does it um, with a slightly different philosophy. Um, like I think he uses sprint speed. I think he uses a couple more. Um, inputs to his calculations that make them a little more accurate so um you know it's it's like a decentralized it's not mlb and it's not fangraphs but you know maybe one day fangraphs will start linking his xwoba calculations into into their database but it wouldn't be the mlb ones and i don't think that'll ever happen just because yeah i think that's like a you know like a a legal financial (laughs) boundary they don't even want to approach so Makes sense. Um, for beginners, if you had to pick just like one or two hitting stats to look at to really help develop your skills, what would you tell them to start with? Um, so I think um, that's how, that's tough. Um, I look most commonly at um, at BABIP, and I will look at that. And I, these are always like you look at these metrics and I routinely um, will compare them to prior performance because the best indicator of a person's skill level is what he's done in the past, typically speaking, unless there's been a, a dramatic change in, in mechanics or, you know, what have you. Um, so like BABIP, uh, home runs to fly ball. So that's HR slash FB. Um, and uh, swinging strike rate I'll use for both hitters and pitchers and, that's a pretty good indication of what a player's strikeout rate should be. Um, for hitters, it can be a little more variant depending on how aggressive he is. Um, but for pitchers, like the really easy rule of thumb for swinging strike rate is you double it, and that's it should be his strikeout rate. And of course, there's like some movement around that. But like if a guy has um, a 14% swinging strike rate, like his real strikeout rate is probably somewhere from like 26 to 30% or 25 to 31%, you know, within a, within a a range to some extent, but it's a very strong indicator of what his strikeout rate should be. So if someone has, 
you know, a really low strikeout rate, but a really high swinging strike, uh, swinging strike rate uh, or vice versa. You can, again, you can leverage that to say, well, he's going to start striking more guys out or the other way around. Maybe it's, maybe he's playing over his head. Um, so I'll use that kind of as a peripheral um, probe of talent um, for pitchers. Uh, I use Sierra um, over XFIP and FIP. Again, I'll use all of them to an extent, but Sierra um, has the strongest correlation to ERA. So um, for me, that just, I mean, you know, mathematically it has been shown to be most accurate within the season. So I will use Sierra first, but again, they all have their merits. Um, and again, it's, it's a matter of understanding what they all mean. Um, yes. FIP um, uses the current home run rate of the pitcher, whereas XFIP assumes that home run rate is all luck and uses the league rate. So basically just says, no matter how many home runs he's giving up right now, we're going to regress that back to what the league is giving up because it's all luck. The truth is it's somewhere in between, so you can't really rely on one or the other. Um, Sierra is a little bit ambiguous about that. And so, again, looking at all three, FIP, XFIP, and Sierra could just... It gives you kind of, you know, that the synthesis of all three gives you some some context about what his ERA should look like. So, again, it's never about one particular metric, but for for the for pitchers, I would use those three and swinging strike rate, and for for hitters, I would use um, just the usual ones: BABIP, home run, or home runs per fly ball, swinging strikes. Um, if you're if you're interested in looking at plate discipline, that's a big thing. A lot of people use hard hit rate, um, but uh, there's some reliability issues with hard hit rate, but it does, you know, it should, it's a, a decent indicator of someone's power. Um, so just, you know, from a fundamental standpoint, if someone isn't hitting many home runs, but has a high hard hit rate, you can reasonably expect him to, to hit for more power. So um, that, those are just off the top of my head, but those are, those are the, probably the best go-tos if you're ever just in a pinch and looking to figure out or just to interpret any player's, performance um quickly quickly and roughly i like that because um yeah you, you mentioned the harder hit rate because nowadays you're seeing barrels and exit velocity and launch angle and all those things which wobas and ex-wobas factor in uh, obviously but the one i was glad you mentioned there was the sierra versus x fit fit because that's brought up a lot like a lot of people like you're kind of in a camp of one or the other for the most part but yeah um, yeah I, I agree with what you said, though, because the Sierra, have you looked at, um, maybe you have, or maybe someone else has, have, you know how you have your Woba, ex-Woba, have you done like a Sierra ERA type comparison of some sort, or is that really not possible? Yeah, yeah, I actually did that, um, yeah, well, if you if you spare me a few seconds here, Fangraphs.com, um, Fangraphs, Sierra, Alex Chamberlain, I did a couple of series, or maybe it was just one post where I did ERA minus Sierra laggards. Laggards Thanks. being the guys who are underperforming their Sierra. Um, and what's that? Oh, shit, we just went fuzzy. You there? No, you did that You did that last year, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I did that in 2018. I did this in May, Sorry, so it was oh, really yeah. early on. And I, and I looked at three guys who all had kind of like a different vibe to them. So there was Marco Gonzalez who like kind of broke out, came out of nowhere. Um, Chris Archer, who has been perpetually disappointing us in – kind of same with John Gray. And um, I think the the general conclusion I came to was like, I didn't really trust any of them a whole lot. Um, and, and one of the reasons, and, and I can, let me see if I can see here. Um, yeah. So, so I, you know, I, um, this was um, a moment where I was saying we can't, and, and I'm someone who's in the Sierra camp so like if you ask me to pick between the three i would say you pick sierra it's the best one but i was i basically use this to like to show how these metrics can betray us kind of like with x woba i talked about with you know with sprint speed not being accounted for um we we don't always know exactly how accurately it should be measuring these things um for sierra there are instances where like for marco gonzalez it showed that he was performing um, it thought he was performing better than his peripherals said. So it was, and you're going to have to forgive me as I get into the weeds here, but it was based on results, good results with 
not necessarily good inputs. And so like the peripheral metrics, when you get really like under the hood, it's like, well, you know, he shouldn't be striking out 25% of hitters and he shouldn't be walking only 2% of hitters or whatever it was, something crazy really at the beginning. And Sierra sees that and is like, this guy is like freaking legit. Um, But if you just take a step back and you're like, okay, he has a 9% swinging strike rate. Well, he should probably be striking out less than 20% of guys or something like that. Kind of just, again, we're synthesizing all this information. And I came to the conclusion where I'm critically questioning whether Sierra is actually a good metric to use for Marco Gonzalez. And, you know, by the end of the year, his strikeout rate was down to 21%. His ERA was exactly 4 um, it all like it all came out in the wash, but it was one of those things where Sierra really early on said, "This guy is good," and we needed like a little more time for it to catch up to what his actual skill level is. Um, so I don't want to like say that and undercut all of these metrics, but again, it's really you have to take a critical approach to it. Like it's describing what it saw should have happened, but even what should have happened maybe should not have happened. Gotcha. If that, if that, if that makes sense, no, um, it. it's like, a, it's like an onion that you just keep peeling back layers and eventually, um, you know, you get to the middle, then we all die. So. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's the main, well, that's the kind of the main take. Like when you look at all these advanced stats and these new metrics and you, you hope they all lead to the right conclusion, but it's not always going to lead to the right conclusion because it doesn't always happen that way. Like you're saying. So, you know, most of the time you can use them as good basis for this, that, or the other, and uh, it works pretty well. And when we've seen it work well, especially in your Woba X Woba for the hitters one, that's going to be something to be fun to track this next year and uh, see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. Now, now that you've worked on those ones and you're, you know, you're starting with this, the sprint speed and this, that, and the other, what's like the shiny new toy you want to start digging into. And really like when it comes to the X stats, what's the one you want to really dig into next? Um, so one thing that I haven't done a whole lot with, and actually my cat just put his face on the keyboard. Come on. Um, so I actually, Al Melkier, um, who is writing for Fangrass right now, he's actually going to post something tomorrow that's looking at how all of the stat cast metrics. So we're talking about like exit velocity, um, fly ball distance, fly ball, exit velocity, um, average home run distance, barrels per plate appearance, barrels per batted ball event, like all, all the things that show up on the, the leaderboard on Statcast, we, figured out the relationships of those with home run to fly ball rate with isolated power with hard hit rate. So we're basically like bridging the gap between fan graphs and stat cast to an extent that should go up tomorrow. We did that for hitters, but I really want to do that for pitchers. Like I, I basically have done all of this X Woba stuff for hitters exclusively, but there could be some value in using stat cast for pitchers as well, because there is X Woba and there is, barrels per plate appearance and we're finding strong relationships for hitters um maybe it's possible that there are strong relationships for pitchers and maybe these metrics are fairly stable over time such that if dallas keichel who i just looked at yesterday and saw that he has a really really low barrels per plate appearance percentage um, maybe that's something that sticks from year to year and we can reliably look at that and say okay well D- dallas keichel who we kind of know is a guy who's known for his contact management, yeah. uh, apparently has this inherent skill, this innate skill to limit barrels. Um, so it's just something that I haven't done at all for pitchers. And it's, it's, it's kind of on my to-do list this off season, but uh, you know, I always procrastinate. So it probably won't happen to like June realistically, <laughs> but hopefully also, I do. It. I want to, I want to figure it out. No, I'd be really excited to see that because the, the milky are the, the, the offensive uh, caveats there sound really interesting to see how that correlates to each other and then from the pitching side it'd be cool too because like you said as we know there's guys like Keiko and others that they limit the, the hard contact and is there something more to this we can incorporate from both sides of the spectrum I think there's a lot to see there and then you know for the pitching side of it like once you figure that out you know you could call up an old friend named Eno Saris and say okay now what pitch types correlate to this that and the other and man you right. guys have all kinds of fun so <laughs> it could be a, a fun little process there um We'll leave that for the advanced stats right now. And I, I could, I'm fascinated by the subject. I could sit there and ask you questions all day, but uh, I want to talk about a few other things. Also, it's just an excuse to have you on again some other time. Um, 
let's talk about some early hot stove transactions we've seen here. There's tons of rumors right now, but the ones we've seen for sure is James Paxton's been traded to the Yankees. Now he's going from, from Seattle to New York, the AL East. Just from a fantasy baseball perspective, how do you kind of look at James Paxton now besides the normal we always are concerned about his injuries? <laughs> I um, I think I'm I, I'm only very slightly concerned. I mean, yeah, the, okay, so the injury things with notwithstanding, um, uh, just um, Yankee Stadium isn't very friendly to pitchers, um, and Safeco was much more friendly, and I looked kind of just... I gave a cursory look to home runs per fly ball to see if he might suffer in that regard. Um, and it, it came out in the wash that, uh, that, you know, Yankees pitchers and specifically lefties in Yankee stadium versus Safeco field had, I think it was a home run to fly ball rate, like four percentage points higher. Um, so it, it just seems like it's not, it's not great. It's not great in terms of performance. Um, it's probably not going to be a huge deal. Um, home run to fly ball rate can be really noisy, even in a single full season. So we might not see the immediate effects of it in 2019. It might be one of those kind of like long-term things. Um, but, you know, ideally he, he gets more wins. I, I think it doesn't really affect his overall prognosis a whole lot. Honestly, I'm not going to read too far into it. So, yeah, I'm kind of with you there. He's going 55th in the early NFPC ADPs, and you know he's he's a great pitcher. If he could ever give you a consistent 180 plus, you're in for some good stuff there. Um, Josh Donaldson, he signed with the Atlanta Braves. He's going about pick 115 in the early NFPCs. Again, it's only nine drafts. Take it with a grain of salt as we go back to the sample size. But um, 115 isn't bad. How do you look at Josh Donaldson coming into the year? Because last year is pretty much a wasted year based on injuries and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I mean, one fifteen. I think I'm going to have a lot of shares of Josh Donaldson. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has legit and and very few guys like even outside of the top fifty, let alone the top one hundred, have the possibility to be a legit first rounder. Like those guys are popped pretty early, and for a good reason. Um, just the biggest question will be his health. And I, you know, I thought to myself, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm into this, like, you know, it's just one injury riddled season, but I kind of forgot that he was injured in 2017 too. So this is kind of an, an ongoing thing at this point. And, um, you know, he, he came back from his injury and he friggin' raked, like mm-hmm. he was, he was, you know, uh, uh, the quintessential Josh Donaldson when he came back from his injury. I just, I don't know if I trust him to stay healthy. Um, but again, at, 115th overall or whatever it is right now like that's absolutely a risk you can take because there are much worse gambles you can take at you know 115th um for all sorts of injury risk guys um so he i'm pretty i'm pretty jazzed about this in terms of him going to atlanta it should be an improvement from toronto which is a shell of its former self um i don't again i don't really see much change unless you know a few a few extra runs in RBIs. Maybe I didn't do like a big park exploration there, but I, I don't think, I don't think Atlanta's better for power, but it's probably not a huge deal. He's a bona fide slugger. Those guys usually, um, those guys can usually overcome any park dimensions. It's, it's like one of those things where you're at the top, you're in the top tier, you're at the, the top of your distribution and it doesn't really matter how far the walls are. You're going to, you're going to hit 30, 35 home runs if you get a full a full year under your belt, no matter where you are. It's kind of my theory with Goldschmidt last year. said the humidor might affect certain things. It's not going to affect Paul Goldschmidt. But uh, it worked out in the end. didn't work out in the beginning. Um, <laughs> right. I looked really foolish there for about <laughs> six, <laughs> eight weeks. Yeah. But, but uh, let's talk just some a couple of little things we've noticed on the NFBC's early uh, ADPs. You know, your top tens, usual suspects, Trout, Betts, Ramirez, Lindor, Scherzer, J.D., Yellick, Acuna, Arenado, and Bregman. Um, you're seeing Yellick jump all the way up to seventh, and yes, MVP season. He was amazing, great couple months towards the end. Are you good with Yellick at seven? Uh, no, realistically. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you, you can't – you won't go wrong. I mean, he's really good. Um, that's, the, that's the hard part is, like, 
he is going to be really good. Um, and there's enough attrition early in drafts where like, you know, some guys are going to bust way harder than Yelich will. Um, but he just, I mean, he had like the third best, the third highest home run to fly ball rate, uh, basically of all time, uh, or at least for, for as long as we've been measuring it. Um, and the only other person to beat him, I think, was like like Ryan Howard and, and Aaron Judge. And that's just completely different company. Mm-hmm. Um, he has exquisite control of the plate and of his bat. Um, and there is low-key, like, excellent power there. But just statistically speaking, there's no way he repeats. Um, like, it just, I would, I would bet the house, you know, on under, like, 23 home runs. Um, I think there's going to be some heavy regression, but again, a guy who goes like 22, 22, 300 is, is probably going to threaten like second first round value. So um, I'm kind of torn on it. I won't have him in the first round, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to fault anyone for, for like going for it. I just think there's probably better value there. Yeah, I just did my top 10 the other day, and and Yellick's just outside the top 10 because it's pretty much everything you've said is you have a guy that I'm not going to say he peaked, but he basically got like his ceiling numbers and a lot. He he ran really, really hot for like two months that he could do again for a full year, but I kind of need to see it to go seven. That's just my my thought is he's a good ball player, but my goodness, it's hard to play that well for that long for a whole season again. Um, you got Trey Turner going number 11. This is, you know, he was going around third overall last year in drafts, and he's already the hot topic if you log into Twitter at any time of the day. Everybody seems to love or hate him. Just, you know, the question I seem to ask every guest I have now, what's your thoughts on Trey Turner? Um, I think um, I think Trey Turner is getting a little bit of flack because um, because people, like, they really expected him to carry their team, which is, which is a a bad expectation to place on him because he was, he was going to regress. Like that's just, that's what's going to happen with Yelich too. Like, like Turner played over his head. Um, and he came back down to earth a little bit in 2018. And now, um, you know, people are a little bit sour on him. The most amazing thing is like, I think according to my evaluation, he came like 13th overall. He had like the fifth best value of any first rounder. And he went, about fifth overall like that's about as good of a result as you can reasonably expect with all of the the shit that happens pardon my french in a season with with guys getting injured with guys having slumps or falling off completely like trey turner actually provided like excellent value for his draft pick and people think that because he didn't end the season where you drafted him at fourth that makes him a bust, and that's um, that's a fundamentally um, erroneous thing to assume or to expect. Because if you just look at the grand scheme of things, like on average, only you, you know, like a third of players break even or earn better than their draft pick. Yep. So if you're if you're holding someone who like literally has nowhere to go but down to such a high standard you're going to be disappointed. So I can, those people can only blame themselves for that. I'm going to, if I'm the 11th pick and I get Trey Turner, I'm going to be stoked. Yeah. Cause right now it goes Bregman, Turner, Javi Baez. Javi Baez is a guy that I was completely wrong on last year. Extremely wrong on. He's also a guy I will not be taking 12th overall this year. Um, same, same. I, I, I was wrong. Glad I was wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I was wrong on him. And I, I still, I, I don't, I, he is, um, to me, he's like Domingo Santana a little bit. So like Domingo Santana broke out and not in quite as big of a way, but like he's just his profile is that is such that he walks a very fine line between like just excellent and awful. And if one even one thing breaks the wrong direction for Baez, he could be seeing reduced playing time on a team that loves to, you know, to it loves its roster flexibility. Um, you know, he swings, he's very aggressive and doesn't have good contact rates. And um, it's just, it's um, right. I think, I think everything broke just right for him. And I think there's a lot of room for error 
in 2019. And obviously, if it breaks right again, then I'm gonna, I'm willing to eat my words. But he's just way too risky, I think, in the in the early going. Uh, you tweeted out a list of players that you think have extreme value right now, and people can go check that out on his Twitter handle. And I agree with many of them. But the last thing I'll, I'll leave you on here is, or ask you here is, you you kind of developed your own little NFBC ADP guide or whatnot on how you think it's going to play out. Um, how's that working so far, and how well does that usually work for you? What what are you kind of basing it off of? Um, so. Uh... That's actually like a totally legitimate mathematical model. <laughs> um, that's like that's me taking seven years of ADP data um, and values and just going based on like I, I kind of wanted to do like a I basically wanted to look at like our behavior. I wanted to see how people react basically to like the Trey Turners of the world. So like you draft a guy really high or you know in, at any spot in the draft. And then looking at how he finished that year, what can we expect him to be in the next year? So really like those those X ADPs that I've been posting is just me simulating like several seasons worth of we drafted this guy and then he came in this spot. What will happen in the next year by ADP? Um, so it's really like not my predictions at all. It's just it's just raw, unadulterated math. Um, and I actually. I've got a lot of complaints about it, which is like I I I should have expected it. It's fine. People think that I'm making these up or something. It's my computer. You can get mad at my computer, um, but I, I haven't actually compared it to NFBC ADP yet. So that's I guess that's my next task is to see like where where the big differences are. And I already know the big differences are going to be like Juan Soto, Alberto Mondesi, Walker Bueller. It's just the guys who only played like a half a season, you know, they may have been injured. They may have been called up late. They were top prospects, things that like that don't show up in ADP. Like when we pick a guy in ADP, we don't announce this is why I'm picking him. So that's kind of like the, the, the remaining context that's missing from the ADP um, projections. But um, it's fun. Uh, I've noticed that it mostly lines up with the guys who like are not controversial, which is the boring part. You know, like the guys who are definitely going in the seventh round, I'm getting pretty close. And the guys who are the most controversial and the ones that we'll talk about all offseason, like Trey Turner and Alibaba Mondesi, are going to be the ones that it misses on. So it's like it feels like it's not very valuable because everyone's complaining about the ones who are who are contentious. But where do it you is stand, what it is. Where do you stand on the Alberto Mondesi um, love train? I'm. I hate that I'm going to admit this, but I'm like slowly warming to the idea of of getting him. Um, I think. So I'm just I'm just thinking about the odds here. Um, in in 2018, the most stolen bases by anyone was 45, which is the lowest it's been in like 20 years. Um, so all the previous times where it was nearly this low, um, 49, I think, in 2012 was Mike Trout when he debuted. And then in like 2002, um, someone stole like 48 when Barry Bonds had like a 38% walk rate. Um, so like there's precedent for stolen bases kind of like reaching a critical low before bouncing back in a really big way. And someone's going to break out to be the stolen base leader. I don't think it's going to be like, well, there's no reliable stolen base sources. I think it's one of those just, it's a blip on the radar that we see, you know, every half decade or a decade or so where stolen bases fails us, we kind of lose hope and then it bounces back in a big way. And I think the person who's most capable of that is Mondesi, unfortunately, because he looks like an awful hitter. Um, so I'm really torn about it. Like, Billy Hamilton's fallen off the rails. Trey Turner has kind of shown us his ceiling a little bit in terms of speed. Um, and, you know, like guys like Malik Smith um, probably aren't ever going to see a full season. It really boils down to just Mondesi or maybe like if Buxton gets a full season, but even he doesn't run as much as Bont as much as Mondesi does. So um, he just looks like the, I wouldn't even call him a dark horse. He's obviously the clear favorite, I think, to to lead the league in stolen bases. But I, I think I'm warming up to the idea of him like genuinely stealing 50, 55, 60 bases. So I hate myself for it, but it's the truth. 
that's a game changer. So, yeah, last year it was uh, Ozzy Albies. This year it's Mondesi already uh, with the helium balloon. But yep. we'll see how we'll see how it goes. But everybody, go check out Alex on Twitter at Dolph Hald Hagen. He has worked over there at, at Rotographs and Fangraphs, all that good stuff there. Um, I, I, I'm totally infatuated with this X stat stuff, and I love reading your articles. And like when I look at your guys' Twitter feeds, and you're talking with just the R squareds and all this, I get lost. But when I read your articles, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I get it now. Like you, you break it down a lot, a lot better in the article, which is expected because in 140 characters, things can be difficult. But um, uh, Alex, I appreciate you joining me, man. I, I really appreciate it, and we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, dude, it was really fun. Thanks for having me. I, I would look forward to a, a, a recurrence here. But yeah, it was really good. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 132 with Alex Chamberlain talking advanced stats and much, much more. Catch you guys later.